Our Old Testament lesson this morning comes from Exodus 16, verses 1 through 12, which um, we have to read Exodus 16, verses 1 through 12 on a day when we are thinking about giving thanks, because this is a passage about people who should have been giving thanks, but instead we're doing the opposite. This is after God had brought uh, the Israelites out of slavery in Egypt, so they were no longer, they were no longer slaves. They were a free people, and they were, uh, they were to be God's people. He was to be their God, and they sure had a lot to be thankful for. But we'll read in a second how they were actually responding. Before we do that, let's pray. Heavenly Father, we do thank you for this day that you have made, and God, we thank you for your word that you have given to us to guide us, to remind us, to strengthen us, to encourage us, to change us. God, we pray that this morning you would give us a clearer vision of who you are, that we would respond with praise and thanksgiving in all circumstances we may face. We pray that by your word and by your spirit, you would change us, even this morning, into people who more clearly reflect who you are and your amazing grace. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Exodus 16, verses 1 through 12. Says, the whole Israelite community set out from Elam and came to the desert of Sin, which is between Elam and Sinai, on the 15th day of the second month after they had come out of Egypt. Don't worry about the geography right now. Basically, what I want, the reason I left those verses in there, so you know, they have been out of slavery now for two and a half months. In the desert, the whole community grumbled against Moses and Aaron. The Israelites said to them, If only we had died by the Lord's hand in Egypt. There we sat around pots of meat and ate all the food we wanted. But you have brought us out into this desert to starve this entire assembly to death. You're welcome. Then the Lord said to Moses, I will rain down bread from heaven for you. The people are to go out each day and gather enough for that day. In this way I will test them and see whether they will follow my instructions. On the sixth day, they are to prepare what they bring in, and that is to be twice as much as they gather on the other days. So Moses and Aaron said to all the Israelites, In the evening you will know that it was the Lord who brought you out of Egypt, and in the morning you will see the glory of the Lord, because he has heard your grumbling against him. Who are we that you should grumble against us? Moses also said, You will know that it was the Lord when he gives you meat to eat in the evening and all the bread you want in the morning, because he has heard your grumbling against him. Who are we? You're not grumbling against us, but against the Lord. Then Moses told Aaron, Say to the entire Israelite community, Come before the Lord, for he has heard your grumbling. While Aaron was speaking to the whole Israelite community, they looked toward the desert, and there was the glory of the Lord appearing in the cloud. The Lord said to Moses, I have heard the grumbling of the Israelites. Tell them, At twilight you will eat meat, and in the morning you will be filled with bread. Then you will know that I am the Lord your God. remainder of that story and how it goes. You can continue reading, but for now we will go 
to Philippians chapter 2, verses 1 through 16, where we once again find this grumbling word, even many generations later, people are still grumbling. Paul writing to the church in Philippi, Philippians chapter 2, verses 1 through 16, he says, Therefore, if you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, if any comfort from his love, if any common sharing in the Spirit, if any tenderness and compassion, then make my joy complete by being like-minded. Have the same love, being one in spirit and of one mind. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of the others. In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who, being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross." Therefore God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Therefore, my dear friends, as you have obeyed, as you have always obeyed, not only in my presence but now much more in my absence, continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works for it is God who works in you to will and to act according to lost my place. For it is God who works in you to will and to act in order to fulfill his good purpose. Do everything without grumbling or arguing so that you may become blameless and pure children of God without fault in a warped and crooked generation. Then you will shine among them like stars in the sky as you hold firmly to the word of life. And then I will be able to boast on the day of Christ that I did not run or labor in vain. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Life isn't fair, and I hope I'm not the first to tell you that. This is a lesson that I thought I'd learned very, very well growing up because it was one that was repeated often in my house. Life isn't fair, and of course this was coming from my mom, and she, uh, I thought I knew what she meant. Because she was someone who, uh, when she was growing up, her father died when she was 12. She gets a little older. When she's 34, uh, her husband dies. A little bit older still, her daughter gets breast cancer at age 19. A little bit older still, and uh, her best friend and sister dies of cancer. And so growing up in this sort of environment, I was also related to all these people. These were all, you know, my relatives that these things had happened to, and I would hear this, life isn't fair, life isn't fair, and I thought I knew what she meant. And that is, you're right. It's not fair, and sometimes we get a raw deal, and you just got to get over it. And that was the lesson that I had learned pretty well. Later on, I found out either she changed what she meant by it as she grew, or I changed my understanding and finally realized what she meant by that. 
as I grew. But my perspective on that phrase has changed a lot over the years. And I will tell you, depending on how we understand that phrase, our perspective on that, it may also change the way that we understand the parable we're going to read today as Jesus is telling us what the kingdom of heaven is like. Because there are a variety of responses to this parable, and we will have some knee-jerk reactions to it. And depending on what our perspective is going in, we may react very differently. This is Matthew chapter 20, verses 1 through 16. Everything was 1 through 16 today. Matthew 20, verses 1 through 16. Jesus is talking about the kingdom of heaven. He says, For the kingdom of heaven is like a landowner who went out early in the morning to hire workers for his vineyard. He agreed to pay them a denarius for the day and sent them into his vineyard. About nine in the morning, he went out and saw others standing in the marketplace doing nothing. He told them, You also go and work in my vineyard, and I will pay you whatever is right. So they went. He went out again about noon and about three in the afternoon and did the same thing. About five in the afternoon, he went out and found still others standing around. He asked them, Why have you been standing here all day long doing nothing? Because no one has hired us, they answered. He said to them, You also go and work in my vineyard. When evening came, the owner of the vineyard said to his foreman, Call the workers and pay them their wages, beginning with the last ones hired and going on to the first. The workers who were hired about five in the afternoon came and each received a denarius. So, when those came who were hired first, they expected to receive more. But each one of them also received a denarius. When they received it, they began to grumble against the landowner. These who were hired last worked only one hour, they said, and you have made them equal to us who have borne the burden of the work and the heat of the day. But he answered one of them, I am not being unfair to you, friend. Didn't you agree to work for a denarius? Take your pay and go. I want to give to the one, I want to give the one who was hired last the same as I gave you. Don't I have the right to do what I want with my own money? Or are you envious because I am generous? And Jesus says, so, the last will be first, and the first will be last. We have a knee-jerk reaction to this, don't we? And the way we respond to this parable depends on how we understand ourselves in the parable. If When we are reading the parable, if we kind of insert ourselves into the perspective of those who are hired first, it's pretty easy to look at this and say, it's not fair. That is not fair. Here we've been working all this time, and then these guys come at the very end of the day, they barely do anything, and you pay them the same as us? It's not fair. That's not right. On the other hand, if we see ourselves in this parable as those coming at the very end of the day, We have a different perspective on the parable, don't we? But one other thing is uh, important as we really get into this, and that is parables cannot be pushed too far in any one direction before they just all break down. So if you try to make everything in this parable represent something else about, okay, so then this is the this and this is the that, and you keep on going, you're going to end up at some really weird places really fast. I'm going to just caution you on that. But here's, um, 
Here's one of the keys, though. The people that were hired at the end. Why hadn't they been working all day? Because nobody hired them. He doesn't ask anybody else, you know, why, have, why are you still standing around? And they say, because that doesn't happen. So why does Jesus include that part in the story? I've actually read uh, commentaries on this that try to dodge this issue, and what they say is, these were the lazy people. They didn't want to work. And I think we could assume that if Jesus hadn't told us that in, in this parable, that the landowner asks them, why are you not working? But he puts that in there so that we can see it's not that they're not working because they don't want to. They're not working because no one had hired them. In other words, they are the last kids picked for the kickball team. When the people went out in the morning to gather the workers for the day, they're picking the same way the kids pick for a kickball team. Who's going to be the best? Who's going to be the best worker? Who's going to be the strongest? Who's going to be able to last all day? And you look And you say, I want you, and I want you, and I want you. Come on. And then you have the rest who never get picked. And they're still there at the end of the day. Maybe they'll come back. Maybe someone will hire me. Maybe I'll be of some value, some use to somebody somewhere. I know I'm not the best. I know I'm not the strongest. I know I'm not the fastest kid out here. Maybe somebody will pick me. Now, if you've ever felt like that, and you read this parable and you see what's really going on here, this is not about how much people are paid for a job done. Here's the other key. The people who were grumbling actually understand it. Because it says, when they received it, they began to grumble against the landowner. And they said, these who were hired last worked only one hour, they said, and you have made them equal to us. You have made them the ones who nobody wants to hire, the ones who aren't useful, the ones who can't do the kinds of things we can do, and you have treated them as though they are equal with us, and we know we're better. This is what this parable is about. It's about a landowner who goes out and he finds the people that nobody else wants, and he makes them equal to the one everybody wants and puts them all together and says, you are all my workers. That's what makes them equal, by the way. They're all workers in his field. This, we, by the way, for those of you who are saying we would never do that in regular life, we actually do this in regular life. In sports teams. When a team wins a championship, who all gets a ring? Is it just the ones who have been there since the beginning of the season or who have been there for decades, who have been working and putting all the time in? What about the ones that come late? They get it too. And in fact, sometimes it even trickles down to anybody who's with the organization, even if they're not playing on the field or on the court at all. They're part of the team. They're part of the organization. And because they belong, they are made equal in that sense. And they, too, can celebrate as the champions. So we do this kind of thing. 
just not usually. Usually, we either see ourselves as those who are above or those who are below others, and we treat people accordingly. Jesus says that the kingdom of heaven is where God treats people the same, equal to one another. And people grumble. You notice what he said at the end, though. I'm not being unfair to you. And I want us to hear that clearly. He says, I'm not being unfair to you. You agreed to work for this, and that's what I gave you. The reason why they were grumbling was not because they hadn't been paid fairly. It's because he'd paid others more. It's because other people were made equal to them. And they took it as a personal slight. Life isn't fair. I've come to I have come to recognize, though, that what is really meant by that statement, life isn't fair, doesn't mean sometimes bad things happen. And it's, you know, I get a bunch of it, nobody else does. It's not like that. Though we all might feel like that from time to time. No. Life isn't fair because God is generous. Because God is gracious. Has anybody here ever asked Jasper McClellan how he's doing? Anybody know what he says? Almost always? Better than I deserve. Because he gets it. (laughs) And even as we experience horrible things throughout our lives, if we can remember that what we are getting is never less than what we deserve, but always better than what we deserve, That puts us in a different position. He's never less than just, but he's so, so much more than just. We talk about the word grace, granting rewards apart from credit earned, and that's what's going on here. I want to go back to the, the real reason for the grumbling. You to put yourself, put yourself in the position of those hired last. And I want you to think, if, if your real call in life is to love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself, and you see that nobody's choosing you, nobody's hiring you, but God says, I choose you, and I'm going to make you equal with everybody else, and if that's your case, and you love him, and you love everybody else, are you grateful? Are you thankful? Are you joyful? You're rejoicing and praising his greatness? Of course you are. What if you're one of the ones that hired first? If you're one of the ones that hired first and you love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength and you love your neighbor as yourself and you see that this is how God is, that he has not only chosen you, but look, he's even choosing the ones that nobody wants and he's making them equal as well, raising them like... Are you thankful? you praise him and rejoice, you can. Why were they grumbling? Because they didn't trust the owner to do what was right. They didn't love him. And they didn't care about 
the other workers. They were totally looking at themselves. When the, uh, those hired last are getting paid first, those who are still waiting in line aren't thinking, oh, good, look, they're getting paid the same as we are. Instead, they're going, okay, let's see, if they only worked a twelfth of what we worked, and then that means one times the twelve, I'm going to get it in the, oh, I'm counting the chickens before that. <laughs> because they're not thinking about the landowner and how generous he is. They're not thinking about the people who are receiving, on the receiving end of the generosity. They're calculating what's in it for me, what's in it for me, what's in it for me. We just read from Philippians. Where we are told, uh, if you have any common sharing in the spirit, any, any tenderness and compassion, then make my joy complete by being like-minded. Having the same love, being of one in spirit and of one mind. And we go, in like-minded. That sounds weird. Does that mean we're supposed to agree about everything? Have the same opinions about everything? Or is what he's talking about here that we are to have the same It was not me. That we are to have the same mind as Jesus. And in fact, that's where he goes next with it. He says, in your relationships with one another, have the same mindset, mindset as Christ Jesus. And then he explains what that means. And what it means is to give yourself for the good of others because you're actually not focused on what's in it for me, but what's in it for them. Loving God, loving others, genuinely. And what that does is puts us in a whole other place where then we can do everything without grumbling or arguing. But that we would actually be children of God who resemble him even in our graciousness towards each other. Some of you are thinking we can't do that. We are too stuck on ourselves. You're probably right. But we can do this, just not on our own. This is one of the things that gets transformed about who we are naturally as we continue to look to Jesus, trust in him, walk with him. This is the kind of things that happens in us. But I will give you one easy example of a way that we can do this and put it into practice in a really small scale, in a way that people generally are pretty good at it. And it's a way of being thankful and rejoicing for others, even when we're not the ones who are benefiting. This week, we have two birthdays. Rita McCorder, Sam Griffin, happy birthday. We know what it's like to have a birthday, and we know what it's like to celebrate birthdays of others. And in fact, we can be genuinely happy and thankful for the birthdays of others, even when it's not our birthday. If you went around 364 days of the year grumbling because it's somebody else's birthday but yours, that'd be a pretty miserable year. And I hope nobody's doing that. But this is an example of how we already know what it's like to celebrate 
others and to celebrate God's goodness to others, even when we're not the ones who are personally benefiting. And so as we approach um, our Thanksgiving lunch, as we approach the uh, season and day of Thanksgiving later this month, let us think about not only what has God given me, what can I give thanks for personally, which is a lot, by the way, but what about on behalf of others? Who are the people around us that we can look at what God is doing in their life? And instead of responding with jealousy or envy and, well, how come he's given that to them and he's not giving it to me? I deserve it more than they do. Can we be genuinely thankful for what he's giving to them? And instead of looking at them with jealousy, look at the God who is gracious and generous, granting rewards apart from credit earned. And so become not only his children, but a family together as children of the Father. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.